Hey everybody, JWoww here. Thanks so much for tuning in to our first season of the 235 Film Podcast. We had a great time taking a closer look at the complete filmography of Denis Villeneuve. We explored everything from the themes of his films to the cinematography he captured. So if you haven't checked it out yet, you should definitely go back and take a look at that first season. We are so excited to get started on season two of 235, but we are stuck on whether to do a full season on modern horror films or classic sci-fi films. So we need your help. Head on over to our Instagram at 2 underscore 35 media today in order to vote on what you want to hear from us on season two. Brent and I are super pumped to find out what you guys will vote for. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this bonus episode on Tom Ford's Dark and Gritty Nocturnal Animals starring Jake Gyllenhaal and Amy Adams. Let's check it out. This is it. Coming off the heels of... Yeah, of season one. <laughs> season, season one. <laughs> we uh, we got to talk about Denis Villeneuve. If you haven't heard that yet, season one, we have it all out right now. Um, and this is kind of like an in-between seasons episode. I think we'll have maybe two of these. Yeah, um, two of them sounds right. Yeah, before we get back to season two, or not back, but before we get into season two. Um, right. So these episodes are coming out every other week instead of every week. Or is just it? a little treat know. for you between it's a little between season treat. Yeah, it's yeah, like a exactly. progressive meal. You got season one and then you have a palate cleanser. Yeah, it's so, like bonus this episodes, is it. I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> bonus episode. <laughs> so for this episode, this bonus Wait, episode. We get into it, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Do you like breakfast cereals? <laughs> <laughs> Do I like breakfast cereals? Um I you know, I used to be a bigger breakfast cereal kind of guy. Uh, what happened? I don't. I don't know. Well, well here's the thing. I, the way I eat cereal is not like the way you probably eat cereal. I don't With like your milk. Mouth? We, we've heard about oh. this. I don't like milk. Remember? Oh yeah, yeah. You eat it dry. You eat it dry. So I just yeah, I just eat it like dry. So like uh, I don't know, Frosted Flakes, Cocoa Puffs, or whatever. You know, like it's interesting that you say that. I think that Frosted Flakes are a perfect cereal to eat dry. Yeah, I think 100%. that I could just munch on Frosted Flakes like tiny <laughs> chips. <laughs> Like, like a little chipmunk. <laughs> uh, I guess well, I well, ask why, that why, yeah, why do you ask? Question. I'm yeah, so, yeah, I'm it's, so like, it's funny that you intrigued. should ask why I ask. <laughs> uh, I was sitting there this morning watching the film that we're about to talk about, Nocturnal yeah. Animals, and I was eating uh, a bowl of Raisin Bran Crunch, the people cereal. And I was thinking to myself, I wonder if Wow has a cereal that he could eat forever. But now I realize that you probably just would opt out of cereal you know what's crazy though for my like breakfast foods i go through like phases of things i want to eat so like uh, i can go through like a bread phase where like i'll eat bread every morning for breakfast for like i don't know three weeks and then like i'll immediately drop out of that phase and not eat bread for like three months you know what i mean like toasted bread yeah yeah, yeah. like toasted bread or like maybe i'll make like a, a breakfast sandwich or something like that you know what i mean oh yeah um oh so, man my brother-in-law makes these breakfast sandwiches <laughs> that's like texas toast and then he puts uh he scrambles an egg but like an omelet and then folds in cheese yeah, yeah, yeah. like an omelet yeah and then he has this like i don't know what he does <laughs> is magical because the bread is so buttery and yummy and then the sausage is so thick and juicy. And <laughs> my wife really loves English muffins. Yeah. She's a big English muffin gal. Yep. Yeah. 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 Her the, breakfast the of choice is a good. fried egg and an English muffin. 
I ate uh, English muffins every morning when I was on my honeymoon in Europe. It was like oh, were they the thing I got were they real? Like were they? I, gu- I guess the ones in England were English, <laughs> but the ones in France weren't as much English. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't have any croissants. <laughs> oh yeah! Oh yeah! Did uh, you have any pont au chocolat? <laughs> oh yeah, for breakfast. Yeah, yeah, the the, the croissants with the chocolate yeah. inside. Yeah, it was really. No, good. I know what it is. Oh I yeah, you're the one. You're cultured, huh? <laughs> Don't tell me what it is. I know what it is. <laughs> yeah, a little pont au chocolat outside of the Louvre. <laughs> outside the Louvre. <laughs> yep, I know all about France. <laughs> all right, so we're talking about nocturnal animals. Yeah, nocturnal animals. That's a trip. Yeah, talk about that's a trip. Talk about uh, a trip. This, yeah, this is my first time watching it. For you, I know it wasn't, but this yeah. was my first time watching it this morning. Uh, mm. Side note: pleasant surprise that it was on HBO now. Um, yeah, because I, I had that already. Yeah, I signed up for a seven-day free trial <laughs> to watch it again. <laughs> yeah, that was a nice treat. That yeah. was a nice treat. Yeah, so I watched this back when it came out in 2016. Yeah. Um, in theaters, uh, only because I, I had I had seen a single man, which was Tom Ford's first film, back when it came out, and it was good. It's with uh Colin Firth. Is it Colin Firth? I think it is. Yeah. Um. So so I was excited to see what Tom Ford would do with this. I didn't really have a clue what it was. I I tend to not watch trailers whenever I'm excited about a director's film. That makes sense. Um. So. So I uh, I went for it, and it was a trip when I watched it yeah. in theaters. It's it a was, trip for I sure. Was, I was in a theater mainly by myself. Like it was just me in there. There might have been a couple stragglers in in the actual like theater, but um, man, like I mean, we'll get to it. But the opening sequence, I was like, what have I gotten myself yeah. into? <laughs> yeah, really interesting. I actually now that you say that, because because I'm just now watching it, and I I wasn't like into it when it came out, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm actually really surprised that it was mainstream. Like Mm -hmm. I, I, it seems like something that would have just been released or in like select, select theaters. But I, it surprises me that it went like to the worldwide box office like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Uh, you know, what's funny. I don't know if you want to get straight into. Yeah. Let's jump in. Well, okay, so well, this is a revenge story, right? And what a right. revenge revenge story it is! Like, yeah, it's really it's really interesting in that regard. So I read, I read a couple of articles about like people's perception of it, and one of them I actually found really unique because um, the person who wrote the article I think got the names backwards because they were calling the the author Tony and the character in the book <laughs> Edward and I was like I, I'm already a little confused so now you're really now you're really confusing and then halfway through the article they got it right so I was like what? what's going on here yeah exactly <laughs> but the way this, they talked oh, about ahead. it was like the way that they talked about it was mm-hmm. it was like two parts one him showing uh what's the what's the main character Amy Adams Edward. character what's her oh, name oh Susan yeah, him Edward showing Susan what he had potential to do, like right. what his creative potential was. Right. Um, because we saw at that point in the movie that she was like saying in a way that he didn't have that potential, you know, or 
yeah, he was yeah. misguided. But I I perceived it as his interpretation of what their relationship ended as. Mm. Like I perceived, oh, I perceived, I perceived this. So one thing that really stood out to me was that the main character in the book, his wife, uh, uh-huh. Isla Fisher's character. Yeah. I think her name was Helen. No, the girl's name was Helen. I can't remember her name right now. No, the girl's name was India. Oh yeah, you're right. Then it's Helen, I think. Okay. So Helen, um, she wore the same necklace no, that Amy Adams wore. I'm getting confused because, okay, sorry, sidebar. This movie is based off of a book called Tony and Susan. In the book version of the story, not the book inside the movie, but the actual book where the movie is based off of. <laughs> I know it can get a little confusing. But um, in the book, I think the, the daughter's name in the book, inside the book... Her name is Helen, so I was gonna confuse. No, uh, oh, yeah, you're right. Susan. It's India, and Laura is the the wife's name in the book. Not to be confused with Laura Lenny, Amy Adams' mom. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> God, I'm getting confused. No, I am so, getting. Uh, confused. I know you said not to be confused, but it is starting to get a little confusing. <laughs> well, now I have another question because you said that the book is called. Tony and Susan. Yeah, so the book is so called Tony book, and Susan, but the manuscript that he sends her in the book is called Nocturnal Animals. Right, but in the book, is Tony the author or is Tony the yeah, character so, in the book? Yeah, no, no, no. In the book, Tony is the character in the book, but the title of the book is Tony and Susan because it's about, it's not so much about her relationship with her husband or ex-husband Edward, but about her relationship with the book that she's having, Tony. Which right. is and, a and representation that, of Edward, right? Yeah, so. right. yeah, 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 yep, yeah. So, so what I was yeah. saying was, <laughs> it, we start to see these events unfold, and this might be a reach in a way, but that's that's how I interpreted it the entire time. So we start to see these events unfold because we're we're following two or three timelines, but the the right. ones that we're watching are. Uh, their past relationship, Susan and Edward. Right. So Susan's and, memories of her relationship. Yeah. Yep. And 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 her visualization of the the, the book. book, the interpreted story. Yeah. And in her reality um, currently. <clears throat> yeah. So in a way, what it seemed like was Susan in the past, what she did to Edward, he was then relaying in the story that he told. Because their relationship ended in a sense of she was dying and his daughter died and, and that can relay back to the abortion that she had. Right. So like he was losing everything in that in that way in right. in their previous relationship. And I feel like he was just violently relaying that again, how it made him feel. But at the same time, it was portraying him in a new light versus the weak person that she had the previous relationship with. He regained this sense of confidence and power Mm. towards the end of the story. I mean, obviously so much so that, I mean, he, his, the previous Edward never would have, you know, lured her into a date and, and abandoned her there. You know what I mean? So I think, we have somewhat similar ideas to what we think this mean, this story means, right? Um, 
think we'll get there. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna hold <laughs> off on saying what I think until sure. we get there. Um, yeah, that makes sense. But but back to like the whole revenge. Like this this film is so blatantly obvious with the revenge thing. Like so right. much so that at Amy Adams' character Susan is standing in front of a painting of white text on black background, huge bold white text that just says revenge. <laughs> like yeah, and then she questioned where that painting came from. Yeah, she couldn't remember that, that was, she was the one that actually yeah. bought that painting for the company. Yeah. Very that whole that whole five minute sequence or whatever had me on the edge of my seat. That whole <laughs> just section of the film weirded me out. Right. Uh, so what you're talking about, like when she goes to her board meeting and all that stuff. Yeah, when she picks up the baby monitor on the phone and that, like, I definitely did not see that that like jump scare for lack of a better right. word coming. I didn't you know see that I mean? coming either. I actually forgot about it the first time I watched it. So this time when I was watching it this past weekend, I got like it freaked me out. <laughs> yeah, I think I might have soiled I my didn't trousers see it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um I think that that little uh moment so like earlier in the film we see her talking to her assistant or whatever about how she had had an ex-husband her assistant's like yeah. you were married before like didn't even know right so that already shows you the kind of character that susan is like she's not very personal she is very um at arm's length kind of thing like even so when she goes to that board meeting like they were planning on firing this girl and then she, susan says i don't think we should i think we should keep her and the board member was like but you're the one who wanted to fire her to begin with last week <laughs> and yeah. she's like yeah but i changed my mind i think we should you know uh basically take a chance on people or you know like so it's interesting that like before the book she's somebody and she's very like th- cutthroat maybe and uh distant and you know what i'm saying like and after the book you can already see while she's reading the book really because i think in in the i think she's devouring the book over like the course of three nights it looks yeah, like that's what it seemed like um, yeah so like while she's reading the book she's already ha- beginning this like this transformation of character right um where we, she's having like this change of heart with this employee or whatever so i think it's i think those that scene is so necessary there because it shows a change in amy in uh susan susan's character because if that scene wasn't there and the scene like with her assistant and all that where she's starting to get personal with her assistant we see this change in Susan that wasn't there before and if we hadn't seen those changes those little those little like increments of change uh, I think we would perceive the ending of the film as totally different as the way that I perceive it at least um, which we'll get there <laughs> I don't want to spoil it yet you don't I want to take my time yet. I want to yeah. take my time um, so Okay, so there are, there are a couple of differences, right, in the book. One di- difference is that, it, um, you know, there's the name changes and all that. And there's also, like, in the book, it's 25 years before she gets the manuscript. In the movie, it's 20 years. But the main difference here is that in the book, it's reading very linearly in the sense of, like, she comes, she she's, you know, she gets the manuscript from Edward 25 years after the divorce. And she doesn't read the book for months. She doesn't read the manuscript for months until she hears that Edward is going to come through this through town. Like she, he's going to come through town. So she devours the book in three nights. And in the book itself, we just see that we just see her, the, the story of the book of the manuscript that she's reading. 
we don't see these flashbacks. We don't see like really her coming back to reality and all that. It's just her reading the story. So we just follow the story that's in the manuscript. And then after the story in the manuscript, we, you know, see how she's taken it and all that stuff and, and how she wants to critique his work and whatever. And eventually in the book, in the novel, uh, Tony and Susan, Susan reaches out to Edward at his hotel several times so that they can get dinner together and talk about his work. And Edward never calls. And that's it. That's the story in the book. So this one is very different in the sense that, like, it kind of goes back and forth between different the, these two different stories and the memories that she's having. Having that, that, those uh, intertwining timelines, I feel right. like was crucial. To right, I agree. I think I think that these stories run so congruently with each other, and they almost feed off each other in a way. Absolutely, and like the I think way, I think the like, story in the manuscript feeds off of the their reality and their memories, the memory she's having, but also vice versa. I think we see so much more of her presence and the, in the memories because of what's in the story in the manuscript. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and like the way they migrate from scene to scene almost as if it's like part of it. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. in some in some flashback scenes or whatever. In other films, there could be some sort of transition, like visible transition between. Right. But it's like the turning of a head is what changes you from the manuscript to present time or right. their past relationship. Like something so simple. And if you're not paying attention, almost as if you wouldn't be able to notice. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally understand you. Um, which I think is crucial to, to developing in our minds as viewers that they are related, like they are connected to each other in a sense. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. not just this is where they were and this is where they came from, but like the way the their flashbacks to the past intertwine so seamlessly with the manuscript yeah. visualization is just further you know, rooting that those two are right. He's writing this manuscript based on past pain. Right, right, right. Yeah. I, yeah, it's, uh, another thing I think is really interesting is that Jake Gyllenhaal has a double role here, even though, you know, the, the are two different characters, Edward and Tony really are two different people. If you want to say it, it, what I mean by that is that, um, uh, Susan, who is reading the manuscript, basically superimposes Edward's, you know, looks onto Tony, basically. Right. Yeah. Um, which I think is also how Tony, uh, how Edward really wanted it to play out because he knew, like, he wrote the book based off of his personal, you know, trauma or whatever. Um, so I think it works out so beautifully with her, you know seeing that character Tony in the manuscript as Edward um but I I I'm I'm a little bit um not confused but I'm a little bit like I don't know why she didn't do that with the Laura character Tony's wife why didn't she superimpose herself as Laura you know what I mean well because well, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have worked for it, her right to, it, right the goal, the goal of that manuscript the way I see it was that Edward was trying to, you know, seduce 
Susan again, you know, as, as this th- new character. I don't think that- so. I think it was more he wanted to show her, like, this is the pain you caused me. You know, like, you did this Absolutely, to our family. But- so I think it makes sense that, like, she's not the character itself because then it would be her dying. Whereas I think he wanted to put make this feeling of her, like, having control of, like, not control, but, like, the thought of, like, she's the one that did this to them, his family. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, but how would she have known that if she didn't know what the end result was? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That uh, what I was saying was, it but I mean, it becomes pretty clear film. pretty quickly, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. What I'm saying though is, is I think that I think that there's a certain way things ended for them where he appeared weak and like he, the relationship didn't really right. matter. And in this story, he he didn't like things didn't end weak for him. In in the story, right. Nocturnal Animals, he he was. He he, uh, was like vindicated. He exacted right. revenge on the people who caused this pain, and I think I think in a way that was his goal was to show her that he wasn't just this, you know, weak vessel who in the beginning of this investigation into this he seemed like he was just going to leave things alone, like he wasn't super interested in that pursuit, you know, right. I mean, Which it seemed like the past relationship that he had was the same way. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think you're right about that. Like, I think he, I think Edward, as a writer, um, eman, what's the word? Em- emancipated? No, not emancipated. Emancipated is no. That's yeah. not right. No, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what you're trying Eman- to say, but emas- I believe that emancipated is Emasculated? I don't even know. Emasculated? What? Emasculated. Jesus. <laughs> Yeah. Why was that so difficult for me? Emasculated himself, you're saying? So I think he emasculates the character of Tony in the film because that's the way he felt right. in real Absol- life at the Absolutely. breakup. Absolutely. Like I couldn't he, agree more. Maybe he didn't fight for her. And then also, you know, when he finds them at the, at, he, he finds her and Hutton at the uh, abortion clinic. He doesn't really like fight Hutton driveway. either, or you know, you know what I mean. Like when yeah. he finds out that there's the affair and all that stuff. Well, see so, that 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 part that part. At that was that at the point, abortion was, clinic, by the way. That wasn't at the drive-through. No, drive, no, that drive. was at their drive. That was in their driveway. No, dude, because because they get out of the they get out of the abortion clinic and they sit in the car. They don't even turn on the car. No, no, no. You, no, no. Yes, bro. You misinterpreted. Here, I promise me, you. No, I think, I think what that was, was they got out of the abortion clinic, they got to their house, and then she was like questioning what she did. I don't but think so, point, because if that was the point, then he wouldn't have known about the daughter, and he wouldn't have written the daughter into the manuscript. Or the, the, right. the child. Here's here's what I believe because that was the most because she wasn't going to tell him. She wasn't going to tell him. She was in the car. She right. was saying she, that don't he'll she never wasn't know. Tell Hutton him. was she, even it, saying like I'll never tell him. He'll never know. I agree, but I don't think either of them expected him to walk up to the hood of the car while they were sitting in there. So I think at that point I don't believe that there was an affair. Agree, I think that agree to disagree. No, you haven't even let me I believe it because they were still at the abortion clinic. The end. Oh, I believe sure, that's he, fine. Yeah, I I think it could, we know we can we can split it split yeah. it any way we Drive want. Like I, the, I could be the abortion clinic. Here's what I believe. <laughs> I believe that that was the end of things for us. That that was that was the last flashback to their past relationship. Right, 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 right. So, I one I don't believe that there was an affair yet. At least not physically. I think that I think that that was Hutton as her. You know, whatever the way all 
things like that start, just a, f- a friend in a sense. I think that that was because what she said was his baby, not Hutton's baby, but right Edward. So I think that she aborted Edward's child. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that they weren't having an affair. I don't think the they child, were. She might. She could have like known. She could have figured, find out, found out she was pregnant. And maybe she got pregnant, like, by the, you know, doctors know when the conception was at, at with technology today. So she could have been like, oh, that was before we got the, we started the affair. The reason why I think there was an affair is because in the actual book, Tony and Susan, um, they start an affair. But, like, while, uh, what's his name, Edward is away at a writer's retreat or something. Sure, in the book that might have been the case, but. Don't don't make the mistake. Of I getting I understand what you're saying. I don't think it changes the story either way. Whether they were I having an affair right before bit. or I not, she knew for a fact. No, 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 no. She knew for a fact that it was his baby. <laughs> that's it. That's all that no, I need I to know. Really I don't I don't care if no, they had an affair or I not. Think <laughs> there there was a reason why that was the last scene in the past relationship because they wanted mm. us as viewers to 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 make up this story of how things ended between them. I don't think they. I think they wanted us to assume it because they never that it was an affair and not a I think what happened was he walked up to the hood of the car and she was laying on his shoulder and Mm. and he assumed that that was an affair and then she felt the need to explain things and that's what I'm saying is like that's how he found out about that abortion and I think it could could be that way it could be that way I don't think it changes the story I think that does change the story a little bit because I think that pours into who Edward was as a, as as her partner in the past. How he just how he, how he how he victimized himself almost instantly, versus like having all of the information beforehand, catching her in the act of sense in the sense of the word. Like I think, I think that in that way, him standing at the hood of the car, the way he prostrated himself and like like showed his facial expression like that i think that that was showing us that he was weak in the sense lacking confidence and just assuming that susan would be so quick to leave him for someone else i don't think that there was an affair yet but i think that there definitely was an emotional affair if if that makes sense sure I don't think it matters. <laughs> I think I think I think, I think it works either way. So I think it's semantics. I think it's things that happen outside of the storyline. Maybe. <laughs> either way, <laughs> moving on, or else because we, we could argue at this point all day. Um, I think there's multiple things that are really interesting in this story. Like, um, for example, when. Susan gets the manuscript, she opens it, and the first page says, for Susan. And I don't think, right. you know how, like, when you read a book, like, there's the, the you know, there's that whole thing, like, dedication. for my daughter. Dedication, yeah, there you go. I don't think necessarily it's one of those where, like, he's just dedicating it because it's his fan. Like, you know what I mean? He's dedicating it for her because he has a whole purpose behind dedicating it for her. He wants her to understand that this was written for her, for her to understand that this story is about them. Like, it's it's about right. him. It's about her. Absolutely. It's, it's for her. Um, so that she totally understands when she's actually reading the book, the things that he felt, the way that she made him feel, and all that stuff. Um, the you know the pain that it caused him, the the loss of losing her was akin to you know her being murdered in that sense, and the same thing with like the 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 child as well. You know, like absolutely, the child being murdered was the same thing as like her murdering the child. You know, quote absolutely. unquote murdering, uh, aborting the child, whatever. Um, 
So, anyways, I I was uh, I was I, I saw this interview from Tom Ford, and in this interview, he's talking about the the theme of the story, and that he thinks it's about the disposable nature of our current culture, in the sense that like we throw everything away as soon as we got our use out of it, and the same thing as like people, we throw people away when they're useless to us. Um, and I think Tony's wife even says it in the manuscript, uh, that Susan is reading. She turns to Tony and says like, it's junk culture. You know that scene? They kind of say it to each other. It's just junk culture. Right. Yep. So I think that kind of, uh, boils down a theme, at least a theme specific to Tom Ford himself. Um, because Susan has gotten to a point in her life where she's achieved, you know, everything that she thought she would achieve. She's unsatisfied. the hearts yeah, yeah exactly with the art stuff and you know her life looks like what she thought she wanted her life to look like you know she's got everything but inside she's empty she's like dead and this manuscript manuscript arrives and it's like it, it almost like re- reawakens this feeling uh, that she's already had because in the beginning of the film we already see her having this like this illusion this illusion to like her current state her current life right and this book just kind of like amplifies it magnifies all these like um feelings that she's currently having you know what i mean and takes her back to like this time in her life where she was passionate and in love right and yeah, wasn't exactly. worried about all of those things as her mother puts it at one point like you don't worry about them now but you will like in that moment she wasn't worried about all those uh material things and all that thing so um i think it's super interesting how there's so many things that correlate right with each other and even um like the scene with the mother was really interesting to me because like we, the mom I think says, honey, we all turn into our mothers. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I think it's funny because like, I've heard like, uh, Manu even say at one point, my wife say at one point, like how, like she doesn't want to be her parents or whatever and stuff like that. But like, there are moments where Manu like will do something and she's like, Oh my God, I'm my mom. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just so funny to me, like how true that statement is. Like, you know, we've, we've, we live with our parents. So the only way we know how to be adults is like the thing, these things that we've seen them, you know, and it takes so much to like change those things. So anyways, it is interesting that you say that because it, mm-hmm. it, that conversation is 20 years earlier. And now look at right. her, she's become the exact person that her mom was in exactly. that scene. Exactly. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, can we talk about the cinematography a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the cinematographer, his name's Seamus McGarvey. He's McGarvey. an Irish cinematographer, and he's most notable for his collaborations with Joe Wright with films like Atonement and Anna Karenina. It did have um, very much like Atonement vibes to it. Yeah. And it, it, I was surprised that this was the same guy as Anna Karenina because Anna Karenina was so... Um, you know, the whole movie Anna Karenina was um, in like one studio. I don't know if you if you've watched that. No, I haven't. It's really interesting. You should take a look at it. Um, it's 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 all shot inside one studio. So like the sets are changing in t- like at the same time as like the film is like going. So there's a yeah. lot of like one shot sequences and things like that. It's really interesting. Um, but anyways, <clears throat> so in this film we see like you were saying, you know, three different. Um, portions to this film timelines so we see the memories sorry excuse me (laughs) we see the memories we see the um, 
the the book itself, the book storyline, and then the current reality. And they all have like very distinct looks to them. Each all each three have very distinct look to it. Like the book, this the book storyline has this very like harsh light to it and it's very like um teethy. I don't know if that yeah, makes any sense. Absolutely. Like yeah, it, it has this sense like, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It has like this kick to it. Like it, it's yeah. saturated and vibrant, but it's still like gritty and grainy, like you said. Um and then Susan's memories is of a time when she was happier, full of passion. So it's very warm it's and rich. Yeah. 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 And then uh, her current reality is, like, so cold, brooding, like, even desaturated it's, a bit. It's ghoulish. Yeah, it's like, but here's the here's the really interesting thing about that is that, like, it has these very, like, foreboding, like, feel to it. But at the same time, it's so interesting because even in her dark, cold reality, there's, like, these moments of, like, color in them. Especially yeah. when she goes to, like, her, her office. Like, that, she's in her office and all, the, like, the red is so like very intentional yeah, yeah very 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 but so it's super I saturated if that's red red in psychology is revenge in a way so i wonder right, if right, right. i wonder if that red was put in by the director like mm-hmm. i'm sure we're gonna um, we're gonna put these viewers in uh a, a, a very ghost-like ghoulish uh free of emotional sense of happiness <laughs> yeah. but we're gonna have them see amy adams hair the red outfit that she wears this red painted wall and yeah. the the first scene was all red background so like yeah that's true we're just gonna flood these characters with this sense of <laughs> anger the red is definitely very yeah, yeah yeah just empty heartedness yeah i i think i think he also was trying to achieve what he was trying to achieve it was by saying that like susan's world is so cold but she's so oversaturated with like art and beauty because that's what she does Right. So she surrounds herself with all these things that are full of passion, right? Art is so full of passion. And her life is just dark gray. Like, you know what I mean? Like, she's she's surrounded by all these things that are so vibrant and full of life, but herself is, like, not. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Back to what you were saying, for sure, I think that, that you know, 50% of the goal in Tom Ford making this film was, in a way relaying some sort of 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 feeling of despair or or emptiness that he might have felt in his life or in his career of uh-huh. having everything or accomplishing so much but still feeling so empty not having people to talk to or open up to about certain you know, past hurts or things like that, or being closed off from everybody else or, you know, lacking creativity at times. When we look at the past uh, relationship scenes, when Edward Sheffield was telling her that she lacks creativity, but only because she, she doesn't dive deeper to find it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. For someone like him, who's, who, who puts himself in such a role of uh, creative expression and things like that and accomplishment and stuff like that, yeah, I, you'd have to be crazy not to think that in a way he's relaying a feeling that he's felt in his career as a fashion designer right. and now director. Right. I'm, right? Sure. I'm sure that's so true. That's interesting. So like what what he said in the what he said in the film about how everyone writes about who they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I, I think that I think that was for sure him saying like. 
you know, this is me relaying a message about my life. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Martin Scorsese says that too. Like everything that he makes somehow relates to him Has in a, a way. Of, yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's so yeah, interesting. I mean, it's, it's very interesting. Cause I mean, I mean, as Tom Ford, as the writer and director of this film, he had so much control of what he wanted. Right. So I'm sure like his vision is very, very true to what he, like this film is very true to what his vision was. Yeah. So much, so much so even in the, in the changes of the film, like, I don't think the changes from the book to the film, all of them were necessary for the, the film itself, but like he could, the changes that he could have made that he made because of like things that may be true to him. You know what I mean? Same thing with like, um, I I think actually that the changes are make the film better for it, to be honest. Like the, the film is better for it. The changes that he made to the script, um, because like for example in the in the book she there is no mention of her getting an abortion so like that part is nothing it's just a revenge story um without this like this whole thing that she like you know basically destroyed their family you know it's just like a she had an affair and it was a revenge story in the book basically right. that's what it is whereas here he added this whole thing with the with a daughter that just adds another element to it that just makes it so much more um poignant to us as the audience watching you know what i mean just adds another layer to it um let's talk about some of oh go ahead go ahead it's a little interesting that that aspect of it too i feel like that might have been i think that might have also been like a, a mechanism to to say like show her lack of ability to commit in a way relationally because mm-hmm. you know she she Obviously, it seems like she wouldn't have had that conversation with Edward Sheffield about right. having a child, first of all, and not wanting the child, second of all. So she confided mm-hmm. in, in somebody else, which ultimately led to the demise of their relationship. And now the person that she confided in, she's not happy with. Right. You know, like it, it, it kind of it kind of inter- intertwines that that idea that she has a hard time being satisfied in wealth or also relationally, emotionally, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It's interesting that this guy who she thought was so charming and dashing, as she put it, um, is not the guy that she wants to be with at all. You know what I mean? One thing, one thing that stood out to me based off what you're saying is, is that that addition of him having an affair on her, well, in the book, she knows she ha- he has multiple affairs. So in the book, she settles down with his name's Arnold in the book instead of Hutton, and she settles down with Arnold, um, knowing and she she basically like settles with him, and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, uh, like doesn't care about his his affairs like just lives with it i see because like his her he brings a certain aspect to her life that is like the material things that her mom was talking about it brings those things that she wanted uh quote unquote um maybe so maybe that was the the way to connect it yeah yeah yeah. deeper into the so yeah yeah where she but in this sense is that she finds out about the affair she doesn't actually know that there is an affair she finds out with you know the him mean the same same elevator as hers or whatever um but 
so that just kind of adds another element to her because she's already dissatisfied with her life and then she finds out that he has an affair which I think kind of works for us as viewers because in a book you can add so much more elements there's so much more history behind a book there's so much more that you can play with here you have a right. two hour span in a story that you have to kind of get through quickly so it makes sense to do that in this film um, but I think it just you know it adds to her character being dissatisfied and it gives us it gives us more uh, more belief in her character as she's reading this book that she like, you know, she's changing so quickly, dramatically, right. drastically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. A so short time. Yeah. I did want to talk a little bit more about some of the other players in this, in the, in this movie. Um, for Michael example, Shannon. Michael Shannon, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I love that guy. He's so good. I do too. I do too. Um, I, uh, I was, oh, go ahead. Have you go ever ahead. seen Superman? <laughs> I'm not Superman saying everything before. he does is hits. You know what I'm saying? That's not what I'm saying. Uh, Michael Shannon actually came up the other day for me in a a smaller role in in that limited series Waco. Oh yeah, he plays the lead detective or, or investigator for that. Yeah, that, I watched that earlier this year. Oh, he does so such good. a good job in that. Yeah, so good. Taylor um, Kitsch is good too. I'm Taylor Kitsch Taylor in Kitch Waco is, is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Taylor yeah. Kitsch has had a. Uh, a not a downward spiral, but I think he people have been giving him downward a lot of spiral. crap that he doesn't really need. Have you not I seen think John Kit- Carter of Mars? <laughs> 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 hey, I actually love that movie. I really I do. When I watched it the first time, and then I watched it again. And I, I like, haven't watched it again. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, don't watch but, it again. <laughs> maintain your love. <laughs> but anyways, uh, Michael Shannon plays Roberto Andes, or is he a is he a lieutenant or officer? I don't know what he is. Whatever he is, he's a cop. <laughs> they never say when he's we a detective. First meet his character. He says, uh, "I'm in charge of looking into things around here." Yeah, that's here. true. That's true. <laughs> he's. I think he's a detective. Maybe he's not even a police officer. <laughs> he's just rolling around with this random guy. <laughs> but um, so he he. I think he plays this character really wonderfully. It's very, it's, it's not like over the top or anything. It's just very like casual. Um, and I think it fits the character really well, especially once we find out that he has uh, cancer and he's going to, he has less than a year to live basically. So yeah. he's just very casual about that fact as well. Like he's just kind of going with it and he's kind of like still smoking because he's like, what's the point quitting now? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he goes, um, so he goes, I have lung cancer and Tony's character goes, I don't understand. You smoke like constantly. And he goes, yep, that's how it works. <laughs> it's perfect. Oh, that's funny, um, yeah. I watched another interview with Tom Ford where he says that Andy's in the book to him represents Edward's subconscious. Uh, you know, like, you know, that like inner voice that we all have kind of thing. I think in, in classical literature, it's kind of like told as like the angel on the left side and the right. devil on the right side kind of thing, kind of tell you yeah. what to do. And so he kind of sees, uh, on these Andes as this like subconscious to Edward, the author, as in telling him like, write the book, send the book to, to Susan, you know, show her how you feel kind of thing. Like make her feel what you felt. And in the book, Andes is a similar character to Tony. You know, he's in the book. In the book, he's telling Tony, you know, how far are you willing to go to get revenge, to get justice? You know, so right, it's this yeah. character that's like urging the main character on, basically. So I thought that was super interesting because I never would have made yeah, that, that connection. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, another big player here is 
Aaron Taylor Johnson. Like, yeah, <laughs> what the heck? Yeah, I think, I think his character was probably my favorite in the whole film. I think, yeah, that, I think that that he, he, I feel like he had so much um, uh, depth to him alone just in that manuscript. You know, I, yeah, yeah. I really liked his addition to the movie. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that um, Aaron Taylor Johnson was nominated for an act. Uh, 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 Michael Shannon was Michael Shannon was the only one. Oh, that's right. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I believe he was. I think uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson was uh, nominated for Golden Globes for it. That's what it was. I see for best supporting yeah. actor. I think he I do won. Know actually, that Michael Shannon was nominated for supporting actor. Yeah, yeah, he won. Uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson won the a Golden the Globe Golden for Globe? this performance. Nice. Yeah. 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 So I mean, I mean, it's it's not like a main performance, but it's good. What he does here is fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like really, spot really, on. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was. I thought that whole. I thought. I thought the whole. The manuscript visualization alone could have been a great film. You know, like very mm-hmm. Heller High Water esque vibes to me, in the sense of like, there's, you know. Uh, a cop and his friend who are you know chasing after this i don't know it it i i loved that that development of the side story of the book itself you know what i mean besides all of the messages that it was trying to relay to susan i think the story there itself was like you know here's a cop at the end of his life and this guy who's been you know had everything taken away from him who just want to see these guys have yeah, justice yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I love that whatever that justice is yeah like right um all, all being read by this prestigious you know <laughs> modern art yeah curator. exactly you know, what a weird, it's like two different worlds total opposites <laughs> kind of thing opposites yeah oh that's so interesting um you know what else is funny in that same interview tom ford was talking about um he was talking about the scene. He was asked about the scene where Aaron Taylor Johnson Ray is sitting on the toilet, <laughs> the outside toilet. Yeah, and he's like, "How'd you come to that? Like, how did that? How did that come about?" And Tom Ford's like, "Yeah, that was just a vision in my head. So when I was casting, I was like, can I see him on the toilet? Yeah, perfect. Let's go.' <laughs> like kind of thing. It's just like, yeah, that works. But yeah. also, um, because like it, apparently in in um in the details of the the real like the script for the movie um ray's character is a plumber so he's just like oh. he's just stupid and decides to like put his plumbing outside just, right just for the yeah that's what they said can. in this too he's a plumber yeah, yeah that's right that's right side explains that's the right, outside yeah. toilet yeah it's so stupid yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of hey. makes the character though it just totally makes the character back to technical stuff like we talked about cinematography a little bit and yeah uh uh, one thing that really stood out to me was how there was musical composition almost the entire movie. Like, yeah, there, there were almost no breaks in right. score. And the score totally. was very L.A. confidential, like <laughs> noir-esque. Like, there were there were even moments in the score where it's just like one like one note the entire time just yeah. repeating over and over again like in quick succession um it's yeah. so interesting because it's it's not like a score that you would listen to like no you know like how there's some movies you could listen to a score just because it's beautiful or whatever this is not that kind of score it's very intentional in what yeah. it's doing yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 um so it's so interesting i i the part i noticed the most were was uh towards the end of the film like as he's um confronting ray at the end 
It was just yeah. so alive there. So so funny. Yeah. But one thing that I I mean I think without those, I think that music in those moments where there was no dialogue, like uh-huh. specifically at the end when she's sitting in the restaurant, that could have been impactful without the music but i feel like that composition that was added to it really Mm. dug into us emotionally to like feel what she feels you know what i mean like almost a sense of despair in a way like the the music was very like those ominous notes really make you feel like yeah like i completely agree devoid yeah 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 it was interesting so we keep postponing your perception of it have you given us that in small increments already or i I probably have a little bit in small increments okay so it better be good because you've really lift us as listeners in uh suspense (laughs) so here's the thing i you know i was i said earlier that this film is very much like a revenge story that it makes it so blatantly obvious but i think it's a little bit of a misdirect um, in the sense that I think it's a revenge story, depending on whose eyes of like which character you're looking through. Yeah. Um, like I can see Susan sitting there in that restaurant at the end and totally to her, it feels revenge. Like so much so that her character sees the, the revenge poster or whatever, uh, uh, art piece. Um, and I think she's like, kind of like sitting in that moment thinking about like, revenge you know like uh, where he's kind of gotten his revenge like maybe like i was even thinking like i wonder if um maybe they shot this maybe they didn't or maybe like it was never part of the script but i wonder if like in the story edward would have gone to the restaurant just to see if she showed up and then leave kind of like gotcha well, part, part, you know part of me thinks at the end when we're watching the waitress come back and forth that that is uh-huh. us seeing through his eyes hmm, that's interesting I don't I, think so. I kind of felt that way. I don't think so. I think for Edward, you think it's, he's dead. it's no. Well, I, I, this is another <laughs> thing, right? But but we'll get to that. So for Edward, <laughs> excuse me. For Edward, I think it's not so much revenge as it is perseverance, which is an interesting way to look at it. But like he was devastated by the state that Susan left him in. Right, totally destroyed. Not only did she break his heart, but she did the unthinkable act of you know murdering her his child without telling him beforehand right. all that stuff. Um, so I think that the way that he discovered that he was going to have this daughter but never get to hold her or to love her, and then uh, Susan herself being ripped from his life, from, like, break totally breaking his heart. He was destroyed. So I think this destruction lasted, you know, 20 years before he could finally muster up, you know, get his feelings out on paper, into like this riveting novel because the way riveting. Susan makes it seem it's totally riveting. She even emails him like this movie, this book is devastating. It's beautifully like horrific, you know, like, so it's this riveting novel. He's become this incredible writer and it's the thing that even Susan didn't believe he'd ever be. You know what I mean? So for Edward, I think this is more of a story of perseverance than a vindictive revenge story. I think he's I putting his emotion out on paper. So I think I think it's not so much a, a, a revenge story out and out. Like, I don't think the theme is totally, completely revenge. And then also, I think the theme isn't necessarily revenge because... I think because of the, the the little the little increments of change we see in Susan, I think she is transformed by the end of the film. Even though things didn't go the way she wished it would, as in like she gets back with Edward, because that's what she's hoping for at the end. We're Absolutely. led to believe that she's yeah. hoping that this will be, kind of like be a re spark in her 
and Edward's relationship. Maybe they got back together because, you know, as Edward said in the breakup scene, we're going back to the breakup scene here. Um, Edward asked her, do you love me? And she's like, that's not what that's not what this is about. And he's like, it is, though. Do you love me? And she says, yes. And he's like, you don't throw away the things you love. Right. You know what I mean? Like, so I think she is totally trying to get back. You know, she has fallen back in love with Edward through this uh, character in his book because of the lengths that he went to. Right. Absolutely. Or whatever. Um, and so I think that she is totally transformed by the end here. She's sitting in that restaurant. And even though things didn't go the way she wanted it to go, I think she's going to like leave that restaurant a totally different person as in, she's not going to go back to her life, whatever it is that like, she's going to whatever, get, get rid of this Hutton dude and like try to live her life out differently. You know what I mean? Whatever that, however that looks. Um, so I think it's, it's a much deeper story than just revenge. Um, but what to what you were saying, like when you asked me, but, you think he's dead? Like, could he be dead? Because let's go back to the story for a minute. Nocturnal oh, yeah. Animals, the manuscript. Right. He kills himself, although well, yeah. I think it's accidentally the way it's, it looks. No, it's it portrayed. is. Yeah. So uh, um, if we go to the original book that this is based off of, so uh, things don't go exactly the way it is in the movie, but in the book. He, you know, he kills um, Ray and Ray also like wounds him grievously and he walks out of his of the shack and ends up falling down a ravine by accident. He stumbles into a ravine and eventually he hears like cops close by and in, like he's he was trying to get their attention and shoots himself accidentally and kills like that's how he dies in the book. Um, and in the the movie, it's somewhat similar. He's kind of like blinded, right? He can't really see where he's going. He shoots his gun yeah. up in the air. Yeah, like he's holding his head. He's stumbling around. He doesn't. No, really, he is you know stumbling I mean? around. That part. That part was a little odd to me. I thought, you know, what's the deal? He just Why had blood in his see? eyes, bro. He had blood in his eyes. Yeah, classic Jake Gyllenhaal, blinded by blood in his <laughs> eyes. <laughs> <laughs> nice little punch back yeah. to prisoners. Um, yeah. But. Um, so he shoots his gun up in the air to try to call attention to himself and then stumbles and shoots himself by accident. Um, so I wonder if like in the in the maybe in the in the end he commits suicide. I think it's very interesting that you say that because now as you were explaining that the, the whole purpose of the book was him relaying to the reader. Um, he experienced this pain. Mm-hmm. He he at the end proved who he was in the sense that he got justice on the death of his daughter and wife or the loss of that relationship. Uh And at the end of it all, he died. So, I mean, yeah, in that sense, potentially that could have been the route that things went. He, at the end of it all, showed who he was to Susan in this new way. He's this new man who feels confident and who who fights for the things that he wants, who who perseveres. We don't totally agree here, I can tell you that. At the end of it all, maybe he just kills himself. <laughs> maybe. I don't think he kills himself. I think, uh, as a matter of fact, I think that he writes this character, Tony, as somebody that he's not. In the sense of, like, he's not going to get revenge. I, I think he writes this character out in, in, like, what he wants to do, but he won't do it because that's not it, who no. he is. It's so much so in that... Hold on, hold on. I don't see that. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I don't see that as revenge. The way I see that, the way, the way I see that is because of this. He... 
he there's the moment where she where Susan is in her office. She's talking to her assistant, and she says that um, she got this her that her ex husband her ex husband used to call her a nocturnal animal, and yeah. that he wrote this book and sent her a manuscript with that same name, a nocturnal animal. So I think in in a sense, at the end, he's saying that he's not a nocturnal animal. Like he is not two things, right? He a He's not going to do all these things. Like, he's not going to get revenge on her. There's no reason to. He's not that person. He That person has died, essentially, by what the book is saying. See what I'm saying here? Follow, follow me. Um, he In the book, he becomes this person who needs to get revenge, seeks revenge, does all these things, and then he dies. But that's the end of it for Edward, the real-life person. Like, he doesn't need to go any further. Like, that person has died. It took 20 years, but that person has died. He's wanted to get revenge, but he doesn't need to. You know what I'm saying? So, like, he's writing this book almost as a ending to his story with Susan. That's why I think he dedicates it to Susan. Just to let her know that, like, even though she may have been over him, he wasn't over her yet, but now he is. This is the end. And that's why he doesn't meet sense. up with her. I think I think for a I think for a minute his character might have even ah sorry I'm like stumbling through my words. Um, I think for a minute he might have even wanted to meet up with her because who wouldn't who wouldn't want to meet up with an ex person who hurt them and get real closure or to say like that they did this thing or whatever you know, like who wouldn't? So I think when he actually messages her back, he's not trying to just like put her up and and get revenge by leaving her alone at the restaurant. Either. I think he yeah. wants to meet up with her and then backs out last minute because it's not what he wants to do really in essence. Or kills himself. It, it's not going right. to help him. It's not going to, you know, like his story's done. I agree. I don't I don't think what I was saying was I don't think that him I think that for his character in the book, Tony, mm-hmm. that was revenge for his wife and daughter. Right. But right. I think I think the way I perceived it was he was relaying that not as revenge necessarily that he wanted to exact on Susan, but he was relaying right. it as now he's become this person who fights for what he wants, who who mm. who's developed this confidence because we look at when he's when he's facing the people who did this in the beginning he couldn't even look at them in the eyes, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like yeah. when they were fighting. But at the end, he felt so confident to look them in the eyes, share that, that his, his, his recounting of what happened that night to those characters. And I don't see that. In, and, and like I said, for Tony, that's revenge, but for Edwards, uh, relaying that, that message to Susan, it felt more like, uh, a newfound confidence in a way because yeah, in the beginning could, yeah. she was saying that he was weak and I think that he wanted to show her that he wasn't. Yeah, I could see that. Um, it's really interesting because there's so much to say about this movie, but we're kind of running out of time here. Let me just hit, hit a few things. Yeah. Um, I think Ray and Turk and Lou, I think those three characters are represent Hutton and I think to a certain extent Susan a little bit. Um, I may be wrong. I can see that though. <laughs> when I was saying that about his growing confidence, I kind of felt that way about Susan. Like, like he was facing them in a way as if they were her. Not, not again, yeah. not in the revenge sense, but more in the sense of like in the beginning, he couldn't even stand to be around them. And at the end, right. he wanted them to know what they did to him. Right. Um, 
here's a a few couple a couple things that I really couple. really loved about this this movie. Um, yeah. These are probably these are probably my two favorite moments of the film because it's so it's it just shows a real uh, superiority to Tom Ford as a director to like know what he's doing here by connecting these two dots. Let's go to the scene where Susan remembers critiquing Edward's book when he's trying to become yeah. a writer. Writer. She's sitting by the fireplace and she's laying down on this red sofa, this red velvet sofa, and she's critiquing his book. And may, even saying, like, maybe you shouldn't do this, basically, kind of thing, right? Maybe you should give yourself some space. Take a break, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, it's just, she's just showing that she doesn't believe in what he, like, him as a writer. And I think that hurts Edward so much. That moment in time hurts Edward so much that he puts that red sofa in the moment where Tony, in the book, he puts that red sofa in the book where Tony finds his wife and daughter dead lying on that red sofa on that sofa and it's yeah, almost like yeah and and i'm sure that like obviously it's a movie so we can't see exactly in writing but i'm sure that in the manuscript he would have like detail like detailed what that sofa was like so that susan as she's reading it she remembers that moment in her memory right. of her right. critiquing his work kind of thing and critiquing him really. Um, another moment that's that sort of does the same thing is um, in the breakup scene again. They're breaking up, and as she's walking away, we see this wide shot of um, of Edward standing there after she's walked away, and there's this green uh, car, and it's the same car that oh, um, dude, Ray I is driving. That. Blew yeah. my mind. So it's this green car, and it's just like this beautiful, like red light, like hitting the entire scene. Yes, and it's like just that flooding was very the entire scene. Yeah. Let me tell you another so thing it, that does that. It, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, Isla Fisher's character wears mm-hmm. the same necklace in the visualization as Susan does. Oh yeah. And I oh, only yeah, know the, that because the, heart, the director the made a. Yep, he made a very strong point to have her, Susan, in present time, constantly fondling the necklace. And then when we see Isla Fisher's character in every scene, the necklace is 100% visible and there's light shining on it and it's reflecting in our eyes. So those small things that tie us as viewers between the two timelines. Right, right. That's so interesting, though, because like the present that that necklace was a present from Edward to her. It, it right. makes us feel that way because she's feeling these things for Edward as she's reading the book and she's fondling the necklace as if like she feels a connection right. to it, you know? So right. that obviously a message relayed in the. Yeah. And then the scene when, when Tony, when Tony finds his wife and daughter dead on the, on the red velvet sofa, like the placement of the bodies is very distinct Right. And it, it looks like a lifeless corpse because of the placement right. of the body where like the the daughter's body is like laying over her arm and her arm is like behind her back. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and then it cuts to Susan like panicking because the daughter's dead and she calls her daughter who's away in college or something. And her daughter, her it's her it's her daughter with with Hutton, by the way, um, not the aborted daughter. Right. But for a second, the viewer doesn't know about the abortion yet. So for the second, the viewer, I thought the first time I saw it, that this was her daughter with Edward. Because, like, it, it all makes you lead to believe be- that it is. Because in the book, he's got a daughter and she's got a daughter. You know what I mean? So it kind of makes you think for a second. But it's actually the daughter of Hutton because she does get an abortion, the abortion for Edward's kid. 
and and her daughter is laying in that scene in the same yeah. exact position as the daughter in the book is lifeless. So it's think, super interesting. Everything very very connected. That here. that specifically to me was like the same thing as Jake Gyllenhaal playing Tony's character. Her uh-huh. her just putting in the story who she believes that that to be. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Just that connection between her current timeline and what yeah. she's reading in this book, tying it all yeah. to her, which is actually pretty interesting because. I feel a little bit like she she has this selfishness to her, her mm. character, Amy Adams' character, and we kind of see that in the same way where she's making it, like you're saying, she's perceiving it as a revenge story. Almost yeah. like the, it seems like the detriment of her first relationship was selfish in a way because when they're talking, right. she and, and I think... I think that that makes a little bit more sense when we start to see the visualization of the manuscript and how it ties right. to the necklace and her daughter right. and she's and that, she's feeling why, those things. And that's why Edward puts those moments in there. It's these like moments in his history with Susan that are so like like hurtful to him that he makes her come back to those moments by putting these same elements that were in their real life inside the story. It makes him, it's almost like a way for him to let her know, like, this is what you did to me. Like you killed me, you destroyed me, you killed our family, you know, like, so I think it's so, it's so, um, it's so good, man. Like Tom, like Tom Ford does really well here in this. You know what we haven't talked about yet? The what? opening sequence. <laughs> we just mentioned yeah, it, no, but we didn't I, really talk about it. Do you... Yeah, it's interesting because that... I, I, I've, I've been trying to think about how that would tie in to things and what so, yeah. that is. It's, so it's let me actually tell you. really interesting because there's a, there's a photo of her, her exposition on the wall in her office. So mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. when we see that on the red wall and the, the photo of the, the yeah. exposition that she's done, tell me what you think it is. So when I first saw it, I just thought it was um, Tom Ford trying to make us like feel uncomfortable, which it certainly yeah. is. It certainly yeah. made me feel uncomfortable. Um, but it goes on for such a long time. I think it's like two or three minutes. And it yeah, doesn't seem a like time. a long time when you just say those numbers. But like when you're watching um, extremely large, heavy set women dancing in slow motion fully nude it it feels very uncomfortable um but i think upon the second time i was watching it i was like what is he trying to say here i was trying to figure it out because like i was like the first time i was uncomfortable but like this time i was like what is he actually trying to say with this and i just i really same thing as you like i couldn't really figure it out so i went and tried to find like something where he says something and i found this interview where he says that when he first wanted to do this he his original intent was for him to talk straight to America because he's been living in Europe for I don't know how many years and he just says that, like, that culturally it's so different and he wanted to talk specifically to America because he knew that this movie was going to be uh, America's the bigger market as far as like films right so sure so literally what he wanted to say to America is that it is gluttonous overfed aging sagging and sad and I'm like, damn, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. But okay. <laughs> and then he said that when he got to the shoot for this opening sequence, he said that the women were so uninhibited that he realized that actually they were a microcosm of what the film was saying. 
like they were so beautiful and joyful and happy that these women let go of a culture has said they should be and they were so totally free. Susan on the other hand is restricted right. by this. She's give she's being who she thinks she needs to be. So I, I so he said that like it just showed so much more than what he so it's so funny that like he stumbled upon this because like he originally he was just gonna do something just to say like screw you America and now right. he's like this actually fits into this overall tone of this the the film without him yeah, even knowing that's interesting that's interesting <laughs> that's interesting. but yeah it certainly yeah, yeah. I I certainly see that way because they really are like they're dancing around jumping around and they're like totally happy like there's smiles yeah. on their faces. Totally unashamed of who they are, their body, you know. Yeah, I think that was the intention of how two-thirds of the way through that sequence, it just turned into up-close face shots, you know, yeah. showing their 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 mm-hmm. joy, joy and happiness, you know. Yeah. 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 And then in yeah. the exposition itself, it shows them being, uh, I don't know if it's dead or asleep or what that is. Right. But in in, right. in that sense, to me, now that you're saying that, that could definitely be a reliance of, of who we see Susan to be at the end, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, to me, in that final scene, it was a little Midsommar-esque to me in the sense oh. of when we see Danny at the end of Midsommar, Florence uh-huh. Pugh's character, she's just gone through this complete change of character settling into who she truly is and at the end after she's done horrific things she cracks this small faint smile that brings this sense of complete empowerment (laughs) to the viewers like when that when that happened for me i was like yes danny is completely (laughs) in the right here I yeah, let's not get ourselves. Let's not get too ahead of ourselves so, here because we will be talking think, about Midsommar in the next few at the end, seasons. <laughs> when it showed us Amy Adams' character, Susan, I I think that there was this this sense of happiness in a way. I think that I think that mm. I think that right before the film ended, she cracked this kind of faint smile, and I think that she was. I think that she was happy. And I, I think that exposition yeah. that we see in the beginning was her seeing that, that need for, you know, in a way that, that overabundance and things like that. I think that at the end we see that to be gone in a way, you know, like she, she right. settled I mean, into this new person happy because when, yeah, right. I think that there's a lot. It's, that it's, a, it's a, it's a big contrast because in the beginning she opens this exposition, it's her exposition and yeah she is not happy with it. Like the exposition ends and we see her like sitting there and she does not look happy. And she even asks her brother later on in a scene later on about what he thought about the exposition. And he thinks it went fabulous. Yeah. And she's like, really? So like she is not, she calls it junk in that scene. Exact. Exactly. Which brings back the junk culture in the storyline, right? In the nocturnal animal storyline. So, it definitely gives you this vibe of like she has everything, but she's she's not satisfied. Whereas at the end, she doesn't have anything at that moment. She doesn't have yeah. Hutton. She knows she's right. not gonna, you know, she's not satisfied with Hutton. She doesn't have Edward, but in that sense, she is satisfied with who she's becoming. You know what I mean? Right. I love that. It's interesting because right before it, it right before it fades to black or cuts to black, um, the last shot is a extreme close up of her eye, and 
the first time I watched this, I thought she was going to cry. I thought there was going to be a tear. But yeah. I think it intentionally holds that and it doesn't give you a tear because she's not right. sad. Yeah. As you're saying. So, yeah, yeah. it's very interesting. I love I really like this movie. It's really good. I do, too. There's, Bouncing there's back so real, much real quick. in it. <laughs> There yeah. is so much in it. I, I think I think another thing that speaks to us is is that scene where she's in the bathroom getting ready to go meet Edward and she takes off her her makeup that she's put so much on of. Right. I she think wipes off I her think lipstick. It, I I think that's just her so like the makeup, the lipstick specifically is I think it's just like that it's her her wiping it off is basically her transformation like she doesn't yeah, need that you know what i mean agree. like yep, she doesn't yeah. need and to she, like be her like she, she doesn't her need to be like bit. this per- persona yeah she doesn't need yeah. to be this persona for everybody out there so it, it is her like kind of coming to terms with who she wants to become yeah 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 i really like it too this being my first time i i i really enjoyed i really enjoyed watching it i think that I think it's so deep and that there's so much there and, and truly, you know, after what we've talked about, you could sit here and talk about it and perceive it in so many different ways. You could relate Uh it personally to yourself. It can speak volumes to us as viewers in, in our personal lives, Uh but then also like relate us to the characters. I think it, I think it's really good. I think it, I think it, I think it says a lot. Yeah, it's I I yeah, it's really really good. I'm I'm so surprised because this is only Tom Ford's second film and his first yeah. was just as good. Um so to see somebody you think who, he'll keep you think he'll keep making I movies? Think, I think he will, but like I mean, between his first film, I think his first film came out in uh 2008, 2009, I don't even know. Like so it's oh, been so a long years. time before this one coming out. Yeah, so I and then again, he's a busy guy. I mean, he runs a whole entire yeah. fashion brand. You know what I mean? So right. uh, he, I think he 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 takes time with his stuff. So, but I mean, I don't care how long it takes. I'm sure I'm gonna watch whatever he makes next. He's great. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, like I was saying, super deep talks a lot to us as viewers. I think our next one's gonna be the same way. I think. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that. I think that. First Reformed, the next film that we're going to be talking about in our uh, mini-series in between seasons. Uh, It's going to be an awesome conversation. We've got a lot to say for sure. Um, Yeah, it's exciting. Hey everyone, JWoww again. Glad you could join us for this bonus episode. As Brent was saying there, we got another bonus episode coming your way in just about two weeks. We will be talking about the 2017 release First Reformed, starring Ethan Hawke and Amanda Seyfried. I just watched it for the first time the other night and it is a trip, for lack of better terms. Uh, definitely check it out before the episode comes out. Again, don't forget to head on over to our Instagram at 2 underscore 35 media to vote on what we'll cover on season two. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please consider leaving us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It would really help us get episodes out to new listeners. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you in two weeks.